0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Jesus Goes Global Beyond Jerusalem, with a message entitled, Grace to the Marginalized. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter eight, verses 26 to 40, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: Have you ever been amazed at the most unlikely people who become Christians? I recently read an article in which the author claimed that there were very few intellectuals among Christians. Now, I'm quite sure that he was wrong, but I'm really not offended by this assessment. You know, when I read that article, I was reminded of Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 1, to 27, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Indeed, God does choose the foolish and the weak and the people who are rejected by all the others. And why should it surprise us that the Jesus who was despised and rejected of men would also choose as his followers those who had also been rejected by others? There was a Roman philosopher in the second century, a man named Celsus. He was a vicious opponent of the Christian faith. Celsus believed that Christianity thrived by appealing to the lowest people in society. here's what he wrote about Christians. Why, here we have a squadron of bats or an army of ants swarming from their nest or a congress of frogs in solemn session on the banks of their ditch or a knot of worms assembled in full ecclesia in a corner of their native mud. And then mockingly, he says, they keep saying that they are the people of God. He mocks this feeble people. You know, more recently, this was not unlike, you know, the atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche who called Jesus a weak spider hanging on a cross. See, I wanna keep these images in mind as we read a most remarkable story in the book of Acts. It's the story of Philip the Evangelist and his encounter with an Ethiopian official who is a eunuch. Let's begin by reading our text. I'm gonna start with Acts 8, 26 to 31. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. The road that traveled from Jerusalem to Gaza went south to Hebron and then turned west to Gaza. Luke adds a note in which he says, this is a desert place. You know, from what I understand, this was a road that was fairly deserted. It was not much in use in those days. And so we have to imagine the story. Philip has been preaching during a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit. Many Samaritans are coming to Christ. The gospel of Jesus was now going beyond the Jewish people. Many Samaritans are confessing Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. I can't even begin to imagine how wonderful were those days. In the midst of this turning to Christ, God sends an angel to the chief evangelist, Philip, and tells him to go to a road that is not often traveled. And the ways of God and the plans of God are often not what we would do. Common sense tells us that the best place for Philip to be is that he should continue to preach in the cities of Samaria. But it's such an important lesson for all of us to learn. Obedience to the known will of God is far more important than seizing opportunities. God's wisdom simply exceeds our own. And here's an important lesson for every Christian to learn. When God calls, just make up your mind and say that it's going to be yes. Don't argue with God. Don't tell him that there are greater possibilities somewhere else. Just obey. No one ever said yes to God and then was disappointed with the outcome. But the world is full of people who live with regret after they have said no to God. Acts says Philip rose and went. No hesitation, just obedience. Now the scene changes. Our text says there was an Ethiopian, and then Luke adds he was a eunuch. You know, there's some scholars who argue that the Greek word here translated as eunuch that term does not necessarily mean that he was an emasculated man. They argued that the term could be used for government officials in that day. Of course, it would also be a term that was used for men who were charged with keeping a harem, for instance, and in those cases, they were all castrated males. So which one was he? Well, Luke tells us that this man was a court official of Candace. Now, Candace was not a name. It was rather a title. I mean, think of it like Pharaoh or Caesar, or for that matter, king, but Candace is not a king, rather a queen. Candace was either the queen mother or the queen who ruled in the place of a son. The Ethiopians for a very long time were always ruled by queens, and so this man was a court official in that court. And so it seems most likely that he was a eunuch in the way that we think of a eunuch, a castrated male. And over time, his duties had increased and in the course of time, he was given charge of the treasury. Now, another word of clarification. In that time of the New Testament, Ethiopia was not the country that we today call Ethiopia. Instead, it was the same country that in the Old Testament was called the nation of Cush. Now, that's one of the reasons, for instance, when one does a history of the emergence of Christianity in the contemporary nation of Ethiopia, one can't trace Christianity back to this man. Modern day Ethiopia is to the south of ancient Ethiopia. So where was this man from? Well, ancient Ethiopia was roughly equivalent to what we now call the nation of Sudan, southern parts of modern day Egypt and Sudan. You know, I mentioned that because Josephus, who was a great Jewish historian, he argued that the Queen of Sheba, during the time of Solomon, one of the earliest queens. And remember, they were all queens from this land that she, coming from Sheba, was ancient Ethiopia or Cush. And furthermore, Josephus, relying on an ancient tradition, argued that Solomon fathered children by her. furthermore, some of the ancient church fathers, who, as you might know, were early Christian leaders after the apostolic era, well, those church fathers thought and argued that this Ethiopian eunuch was at least partially Jewish. He had Jewish roots. You know, it's hard to know what to make of all of those accounts. I mean, most modern scholars simply assume that this Ethiopian man had come to Jerusalem to worship as a God-fearer. Now, we do know that there were a great many Gentiles who loved the God of Israel, but they were unwilling to become converts, and, and the reasons were many. You know, for one, to become a convert meant that one had to separate oneself from all Gentile contacts, and therefore a Gentile convert would be without a family. And for many, that was far too high a price to pay. And so I've presented two possible pictures of this man. Either he was a God-fearer who had simply heard of the God of Israel and had come to worship him, or more likely, he was a man with Jewish blood and he was raised to love the God of Israel. But either way, he would not have been welcomed in the temple because Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So without getting into all the reasons for that law, it remains clear that this man from Ethiopia would have known the tragic life of pain, disappointment, ostracism. But in spite of all of that, he goes to Jerusalem to worship. Did he get to know any of the Christians when he was there? Well, our our text is silent on that issue, but we do know that he was returning home, not on the most common road, but on the road that very few people traveled. I mean, perhaps he had become quite accustomed to being alone. And it's there that we find him in his chariot and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And given the quotation that we'll later read, we know that the copy of Isaiah that he had was the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And so we gain further insight. Even if he had Jewish heritage, we know that he was Greek speaking and that's how he read the scripture in a Greek Bible. Well, where did he get that copy of Isaiah that he was reading? I mean, had he purchased it in Egypt, perchance, or did he get it while he was now in Jerusalem worshiping? We don't know, but we do know that as he's reading, he's reading aloud. By the way, reading aloud was the custom of the day. Many taught that reading silently would not be an efficient way of learning or of memorizing a text. So people were commonly instructed, in order to learn a text well, read aloud. And so as the chariot is moving along slowly, and as Philip can easily keep up to it, he sees this man reading aloud. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. Philip comes right beside him, interrupts him. The man doesn't seem to mind. Do you understand what you're reading? No, he says, I don't. I need someone to explain. I need someone to guide me through this process. And just like that, the man invites Philip to join him in his chariot. Read along with me, he says, and and guide me through the process in an instant, Philip would have known why the angel directed him to this remote place. It's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? Obey God, find out what he does.
0: Back to the Bible Canada has a mission to teach the truth of the Bible across Canada and around the world. We do so by offering excellence in Bible teaching available daily from Dr. John Newfeld on air, online, through every possible medium, audio, video, and print. We also offer ministries like Laugh Again, offering daily words of encouragement, hope, and healing that lead to deeper conversations of life and faith. And a ministry like In Doubt that presents a trustworthy, loving God to young people and how the Bible speaks truth and light into every area of life, faith, and culture. Your gifts make these Bible teaching and engagement ministries possible. Thank you for making the teaching of the Bible a priority and supporting the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada with your gracious gifts. To know more or to offer your much-needed support, visit backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425.
1: It is quite possible, as I've argued, that this Ethiopian was partially Jewish. And that might explain why, when we come to Acts chapter 10, Luke presents that experience as the first time the gospel moved beyond the Jewish and the Samaritans into the Gentile world. Perhaps the Ethiopian eunuch was a man who shared a commonality with the Samaritans, partially Jewish. You see, the question I'm asking is simply this. Why does Luke The author of Acts even mentioned this one story. I think Luke is telling us that this is one of the many people groups who had split off from the Jewish people, but still had a hunger for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If I understand this man rightly, I would argue that there really is a lesson in this for the church today. If you want to expand the reach of the gospel, why not begin by reaching out to those people who were once connected to the church and to the gospel of Jesus, but have for any number of reasons fallen away. Many of them still love the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but you know maybe they were battered and bruised and find themselves outside the people of God. If you want to expand the kingdom, ask God who these people are and begin to reach out to them. See, in our context, some of these people are, are just discouraged. Some have had a horrible experience with a local church. Some have been deeply hurt and wounded, and some have been overwhelmed by the hypocrisy of leaders and have fallen by the wayside, and no one has cared about them. I mean, others have sinned and were left ashamed, and they find themselves on the outside. I'm saying there are countless people just like that. And if we have the eyes to see it, perhaps we might learn from this encounter. So let's continue to read. Philip has been invited into the chariot, and the man indicates where in Isaiah he's been reading. Acts 8, 32 to 34. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? We need to go back to verse 26. I mean, look there again. Our text said, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the, notice this, to the south. Now, our text says the angel specifically said, go south. But there's an alternative translation to this text, which says, go at midday. You know, if that translation is correct, that would mean that God specifically arranged the meeting to occur at just the moment when the Ethiopian official would be reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And now those of us who have studied the book of Isaiah know how important is Isaiah chapter 53. That chapter, in its wider context, is all about the Messiah. I mean, it starts all the way back at Isaiah 42, and I'm assuming this Ethiopian has already read through that. It begins by saying, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Now I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Well, already the Ethiopian has been wondering, I mean, who is this man? Verses six and seven of that same chapter promises that the servant will bring out prisoners from the dungeon and then he will be a light to the nations. And by the time the Ethiopian got to Isaiah 49, verse six, he would have read, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I'll make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Again, the question hangs there. Who is this servant that he should accomplish these great things? And that's why this Ethiopian official wants to know. I mean, who is he? You know, is Isaiah talking about the effects of his own prophetic ministry during his lifetime? Or is he talking about someone who is yet to come? But of course, by the time the Ethiopian got to chapter 53, I mean, the part he was reading aloud, he reads about this great servant who, like a sheep, was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers, remained silent. Justice is denied him. His life is taken from the earth. Who is the servant? What am I to understand? You see, Philip couldn't have come at a better moment. Just when the passage in Isaiah goes from teaching the glory of this servant, here he is horribly treated until he's put to death, there's something about God's timing, would you say? And so no doubt Philip would have introduced this man to Jesus. Matthew 26:60 60 to 63 tells us of the trial of Jesus. One hostile false witness after another is brought forward. The slander mounts, and as each accusation echoes through the chambers of the Sanhedrin, there stands Jesus. Matthew says he didn't say a word. The high priest then demanded, have you nothing to say? But, says Matthew, Jesus just remained silent. He had come to Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. He, the Lord's servant, the one destined to rule the nations, was being deprived of justice, and he would soon be killed, and yet he did not open his mouth. No doubt, Philip took him line for line. You know, verse 4 of Isaiah 53 says, He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgression. And no doubt, Philip would have explained how Jesus carried even this Ethiopian sins as he hung on the cross. And then verse 10 says that it was the will of the Lord. It was the will of God the Father to crush his servant. And then it says, when his soul was making an offering for the guilt of sinners, at the same time, it was the will of the Lord that he would prosper. That would have given Philip the chance to explain the resurrection. And then verse 11 explains that the righteous one, the servant of the Lord, would bear many iniquities and that through him many would be counted righteous. And by the time they ended Isaiah 53, the Ethiopian had heard of Jesus and about how it was that Jesus' death on the cross paid for his sins and the sins of all who trusted in him, and about the need to put his faith and hope in Jesus for the forgiveness of his own sins and inclusion, yes, inclusion among the people of God. I mean, you have to imagine that this official's eyes were brimming. Suddenly, he was able to see that not only had he this eunuch from Ethiopia as an outcast from Israel, been suffering in his own despair and anguish of heart, suddenly he would have seen that the Messiah, the Holy One, Jesus, had also suffered humiliation, that he was also deprived of justice, and that he had also been cut off. The Messiah, Jesus, understood the humiliated of the earth. Why would not such a savior also welcome this man into his family? Do you remember the criticism of such Roman aristocracy as Celsus, who thought that Christians were made up of the scum of the earth. Well, indeed, Celsus was right. For these sad and despicable Christians had as their Savior, one who was also rejected by men. We're not told how long Philip and the Ethiopian talked. The scroll of Isaiah was before them. They were examining it line for line. They were talking about the grace of Jesus and how he would die in the place of sinners. That's when we come to the next section, Acts 8. 36 and 37 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? In Jerusalem, there were plenty of mikvahs, baptismal pools, where Jews constantly bathed for a ritual of cleansing. This eunuch would not have been invited to one of those, but he would have heard of the Christian community, who also baptized their followers into Jesus and into their own communities. And the Ethiopian asks the question, what prevents me from being baptized? Will my semi-Jewish status hold me out? Will my emasculated body make me unacceptable to such a Messiah? Perhaps not. If, as I think, when this was all over and the eunuch kept on reading Isaiah, he would have come to Isaiah 56, verse 3, just several chapters later. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people and let not the eunuch say behold i am a dry tree and then isaiah promises to foreigners and eunuchs that god will give them an everlasting name what glory acts 8:38 to 40 says and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water philip and the eunuch and he baptized him and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord carried philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing but philip found himself at azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You know, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch is a story that I think we all need to hear and contemplate afresh. If you, my dear listener, feel that you've been banished from the people of God and there's no way back here than this, hear the story of a savior who knows what it is to be banished himself. Do you know that he understands you and welcomes you if you will but come and repent of your sins? and come to him for his grace. There is more grace in Jesus your savior than there is sin in you. Won't you do what this man did? Commit to Jesus, trust in him, find a godly pastor and ask the same question this man asked. What prevents me from being baptized? Indeed, if you will but repent and turn to Jesus, nothing but nothing prevents you at all. What glorious good news.
0: Thanks so much, John. You know, I'm often disturbed by how insular the church has become, and yet it's so very obvious that a critical role of the church is to reach out to marginalized people.
1: Well, Ben, uh, you're the right guy to ask the question. Maybe you're the right guy to answer the question as well, because I know all those years that that you worked in the Salvation Army, reaching out to the poor and the needy, um, it tells us something about what the gospel was intended. Yes, we must reach out to the people that that the, the culture as a whole thinks have no value. And so I think the Ethiopian eunuch tells us that story, but we also need to look around ourselves and, and ask ourselves, how is the gospel relate to people who are, you know, in some way mentally challenged or people who have special needs? So these are also marginalized people. We might also ask, are there people who are in racial groups that are marginalized and can we reach out there? If we gain the attitude of Jesus that looks for the least and the lowly and brings the good news, the saving news to them, and if we begin to follow what Jesus did, uh, we're going to find ourselves in much more receptive territory than we ever thought possible.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series Beyond Jerusalem right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. We want to thank you for your faithful prayers and generous gifts that help ensure that solid Bible teaching is available around the world. Because of your generosity, all of our international Bible teaching efforts and partnerships happen, including the distribution of Dr. John's new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation, being made available in 11 key languages distributed across India. It's such a privilege to work in partnership with you and ministry friends like Back to the Bible India and Back to the Bible Sri Lanka. As we work together, Bible resources are being made available around the world. And a special thank you for your gifts. And may I encourage you to continue to support these international partnerships throughout the year or even consider becoming an international monthly partner. To learn more or to offer a gift in support of international ministries, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.